This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Since the Trump administration took power, we've been focused on an increase in illegal immigration from the seven Muslim countries that he wants to include in a travel ban. However, new numbers show the surge in in asylum claims have come from Mexicans, of course, another group that Trump wants to crack cracked down on. In January 2017, Canada experienced a 700% rise in asylum claims from Mexico compared to the claims made in January 2016. February saw an increase of 2,500%. However, the raw numbers are not so big. So for the first three months of the year, there were 266 claims by Mexicans versus 241 for the entire year last year. So is this a problem in the making? What do you think of it? Uh, have we opened the floodgates in some way? I'm here with immigration lawyer George Sandaluk. He is the leader of the Immigration Litigation Group at Mammon, Sandaluk and Kingwell. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Well, uh, first of all, is, is this a surprise to see this kind of an increase? No, it's not. There's a couple of factors in play, one of which has to do with the uh, Trump uh, the Trump administration coming in and promising to crack down on the Mexican citizens who are in the United States without status. Another larger factor, however, is that Canada recently lifted a visa, a visa requirement for Mexican citizens. For many years, what happened was Mexican citizens were able to enter Canada as easily as Canadians can travel to Mexico. What happened, however, was that the number of refugee asylum claims went up and up into the six, seven, eight thousand person a year range. In 2009, the Conservative government brought in a visa uh, requirement and the number of claims plummeted considerably. Now that the, but however, that came at a cost. It came at a cost to legitimate visitors who came to Canada and spent money. It also came at a cost to trade, which it appears to have been extensive. Now, uh, what's happened is that since the visa requirement has been lifted and it's easier for people to come to Canada, people are coming and people are starting to make refugee claims in greater numbers. The raw numbers, you're right, though, are not really all that significant. And it, if you look at the trend the way it is right now, we're still not going to get to the range that we were at the time that the visa requirement was imposed in 2009. I'm, I'm a little unclear on, on how this affects trade because the visa requirement is on people, not on goods, presumably. It does, but Canada and uh, Mexico are partners under the North American Free Trade Agreement. What happens is in order for goods and services to be exchanged across border, including labor, um, there has to be a great deal of uh, facility of movement. What happens is when you start imposing a visa requirement, it gets harder and harder to bring people and their products across borders. Trade suffers as a result. So what happens is there's a trade-off, so to speak, that you have to make when you're a Canadian government. You have to determine whether the cost to Canadian trade is going to be more or less or more uh, too great to justify the uh, cutting off the flow of refugees to a country. Okay, um, so we're still a long way off from that high of eight or 9,000 claims a year. Uh, when was that? When was the last time we saw numbers like that? Last time we really saw numbers like that were 2007, 8, and 9. 
and that was around the time that the visa requirement was imposed. Following that, there were some legacy claims that had to work their way through the system. But after that, the numbers dropped down to the, you know, the low 100s. Okay. And what percentage of refugee claimants from Mexico are, are actually approved? The most recent statistics we have uh, show that about uh, just under 30%, about 28.9%, I believe, of uh, claims are being approved. So that's, in terms of uh, acceptance rate, that's actually a fairly high acceptance rate. What it really reflects is the situation that Mexico has been going through for the last little while. Mexico has been engaged in a pretty difficult uh, drug war, uh, both between the Mexican government and drug cartels and between drug cartels fighting each other. There's a great deal of insecurity. And what's happening is people who are caught up in that kind of conflict can't turn to the authorities for protection uh, due to government ineffectiveness and corruption. What happens is they leave the country and they come to places like Canada or the United States and they make claims for asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, it's it's something that's uh, very difficult to deal with. And, and in our dealings with the government, uh, the Mexican government, um, where do they factor into all of this? Well, they don't really factor in as much when it comes to refugee claims themselves, because a refugee claim is a claim made against the government of a foreign country. Basically, what happens is when you come to Canada from Mexico and you're seeking protection here, you're alleging that you are either being persecuted by the Mexican government or that you are being persecuted by a private actor within Mexico and that the Mexican government is unable or unwilling to assist you. And that, that's the most common claim. And But I mean, how does the Mexican government react to that charge? That um, I think it's probably fair to say that the Mexican government has its hands full with the, with the drug <laughs> war they're having right now. There's been, I mean, and part of the reason for the spike in claims as well is that the drug war has gone through a bit of a lull over the course of the last few years. And just in very recent mo- months, the number of murders has been picking up in a way that it hasn't for the last few years. So there's also factors that are even beyond the Canadian and Mexican government's ability to control in play here. Okay, uh, we're going to go and take a few calls in just a moment. But one of the things you said that uh, I didn't know before that I find really interesting is that you're saying an acceptance rate of uh, just under 30 percent, under 3 in 10, and that's fairly high. So that that's uh, a bit of an – so that does mean that, that a lot of people coming here to claim refugee status are – trying to take advantage of us. It's hard to say exactly whether they're trying to take advantage. Um, sometimes what happens is claims are rejected because somebody comes comes forward in good faith but simply isn't able to provide enough evidence to support their claim. Sometimes what happens is a person comes to Canada but is excluded from claiming refugee protection because, for example, they've entered at a regular border crossing. They're, they're barred from the refugee process by the Safe Third Country Agreement. Sometimes they've made a previous refugee claim in the past or they've uh, failed to claim refugee protection in another refugee uh, protecting nation before they've arrived in Canada. So the refugee claim process is actually fairly complex and the law is fairly involved. So it doesn't necessarily mean somebody's taking advantage. What it just means is that somebody's not able to meet the legal test per- for protection. Okay, let's uh, take a couple of calls. We've got Simone in Parkdale. Hello, Simone. Hi there. With the government just uh, vetting about one to ten, one out of ten or twenty people when it comes into Canada, properly vetting them, I, I don't. I think there's a danger there with the, the gentleman referring to the tra- trafficking, drug trafficking. How do I know people are going to come here and expand their business here with, with regards to drug trafficking? And you know, Americans have a lot of Latino crime, and we. I don't really want that. Here we have enough gangs as it is. 
So, you know, and I was listening to a radio station this morning where the great gold, uh, Faith Goldie was talking when she spent time on the border, unprotected borders, and taxi companies are working with brokers. She's a mothers. little extreme. Why don't we let, well, let's yeah. let Joel respond to your question. Thanks mm-hmm. for your call. Thank you. So there's a couple of there's a couple of issues in there. The first issue is the idea of one in ten people being vetted uh, before they enter the border. The reality is that what happens is uh, when people when Canada accepts refugees, such as the Syrian refugees who came last year, they were all vetted 100 percent of them before they got on a plane and before they came to Canada. Refugee claimants crossing at a port of entry are different because they haven't interacted with the Canadian government until after they've been here. Once they get here, however, the process is usually fairly simple and everybody does ultimately get seen. What that basically means is somebody comes to Canada, they make a claim. Oftentimes they're detained while something such as their identity, their criminal history, anything of that nature can be established. And in the event that they have a a criminal history, what happens is they're excluded from refugee protection. If you've been convicted of a serious non-political crime in a foreign uh, country, before you enter Canada to to claim protection – you're simply not able to claim. Okay, uh, now I have a question on that. How can you be sure that, uh, that that vetting is correct? Say you have somebody from a drug cartel, uh, say they manage to bribe or there's corrupt police, and you know that's fairly common in yeah. Mexico. How do you know that you're getting the correct answer? It's hard to say. I mean, the reality is you could just be a criminal who's never been caught, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's impossible to say with certainty... Uh, you know, and to catch everybody 100% of the time. The reality, however, is that uh, people who come to Canada making refugee claims are generally not the people who are doing the persecuting. They're people who are fleeing persecution. And I think what you have to remember, and one of the things everybody has to remember, is it's easy to imagine a scenario where a terrible person enters Canada in this way. The reality, however, is it's a very a teeny tiny, an infinitesimally small group of people that you really actually have to be worried about. And generally speaking, information sharing between governments like Canada, the United States, and Mexico is sophisticated enough that uh, if there is a record of any kind, even a record of an arrest without a conviction, uh, Canada is aware of that. And a re- an arrest without a conviction can also render somebody inadmissible to Canada. So one of the things that we have to rely on with you know just sort of the world that we live in is the information available to law enforcement partners in foreign countries as well. Mm -hmm. But you have to trust those law law enforcement partners. And I I would humbly suggest that they aren't all trustworthy. No. There there are levels of trustworthiness, I think it's fair to say. How long, on average, does it take for somebody coming and making a refugee claim to have it adjudicated? What's happened now is that the uh, the new refugee process is far faster than it used to be, and that's one of the reasons for that the cost of a processing a refugee claim is far lower than it was before the visa impo- requirement was imposed. In the past, it would take months and months to process a claim for refugee protection. Now, once somebody's determined to be eligible, generally speaking, everything can be done within three to four months, really? which is a very, a very fast time. I remember when it took years. Oh, you know, as do I. And I had we we represented many people who would languish in the system. During that time, they'd be they'd get work permits, they'd be working, they'd be living their lives, they'd be having children. Um, and what happened is the government sought to eliminate that to basically determine claims quickly and either grant them or refuse them, and then allow people to get on with their lives either in Canada or in their country of nationality after their removal. And okay, uh, so if they are refused, are they deported quickly? Generally, yes. And the reason why is the government set up a a scheme within the refugee system. What happens is, say you were to come to Canada and make a refugee claim, that refugee claim would be considered, it would be adjudicated by the Refugee Protection Division. 
certain refugees, after their claim has been denied, have the opportunity to appeal that decision to the Refugee Appeal Division. Should that claim be, should that be denied, there is the possibility of filing an application for judicial review in federal court, which includes a requirement for leave. So the court has to agree to hear the case. There's no right of uh, judicial review at that point. And generally speaking, uh, most uh, removal orders will be executed within that year. The reason why they're executed within that year is because it basically limits other procedural rights. So the government's essentially incentivized itself to execute removal orders as quickly as they can. So generally speaking, if you were arriving today, there'd be a very, very good chance that if things don't work out, by this time next year, you'd be back where you came from. Okay, let's uh, take another call from Al in Brantford. Hello. Hi, Al. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I'm just sitting here listening to your man there speaking. <clears throat> what are we doing with a free trade deal and doing businesses with a country that produces so many refugees? Well, I mean, what we're doing is, uh, I mean, the, basically the idea is that Mexico is a very important market for a lot of Canadian products. Uh, a lot of Canadian manufactured goods are sent down to Mexico, and not a lot of Canadian tourism is, uh, goes to Mexico. And we uh, are, import a great deal of manufactured products from Mexico as well. Whether, when you say, what are we doing with, why are we doing business with a country that has this kind of a problem? I think probably what you have to do is you'd have to look back to when the free trade agreement came into place and came into existence in the first place. Mexico at the time was a one-party state. They didn't have this kind of problem. And, uh, you know, the situation has developed. Now, you could say, you know, we shouldn't deal with any country that has this, this level of instability. But the problem is that that cuts off a lot of trading partners and trading partners Canada relies on. You know, Canada being the economy that it has, the size of economy that it has, it's very important for us to be able to get our goods overseas. And in a lot of times, providing more access to Canada is the cost of that. That's why there's a balancing that has to be made by the Canadian government. At what point does it become no longer cost-effective to open up Canadian airports, travel, and markets uh, for Canadian goods. Yeah, and, and and Al, notwithstanding, sometimes you hear uh, horrific things that happen to tourists in Mexico, but people go down there in the winter, people have homes there. I mean, there are uh, towns in Mexico that are almost all Canadian. That's true. So, I'm well aware of that, and I'm also, I've been through Mexico, right down to, to Nicaragua, or to uh, Panama. Yeah. But I'm also aware of the fact that not every area of Mexico is as dangerous as it is exactly. where they're speaking of. I've been where it has been dangerous, and I've been where it's not. Absolutely not. Well, yeah, that's so. That... If you could move, if you can move all the way up to Canada to get over the border where it's safe, why don't you move from one province to another down there, or one town to another? That's well, actually that's my argument. That's that... actually part of the refugee test. See, I mean, yeah. you know, when I was asked, you know, does this mean that refugee claimants are bogus? The answer is no, it doesn't necessarily. That was the language that the last government used a lot. Uh, one of the components of the refugee definition is that you have to be able to establish that you don't have what's called an internal flight alternative in your country of nationality. So, for example, if you're in a part of Mexico, uh, Chiapas, right, for example, where there is a higher level of uh, criminal activity or a lower level of government control, is there an expectation that you could move to a different state within the same country and be safe? Um, generally speaking, the 30% the or so of people who are able to claim re or are able to secure refugee protection in Canada have been able to satisfy the Canadian government that that is the case. Uh, the 70% or so who have not, uh, in many cases, will be told you belong in a different region of your own country in a larger city or someplace where you can get away from these non-state actors who will not follow you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.